Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Story Darlings podcast. I'm Sandra. And I'm Tara. And what are we talking about today, Tara? We are going to be discussing the second half of Throne of Glass, starting at chapter 27. Sandra, do you want to go over the little overview of it? Yes. So kind of to pump the brakes on last time, we realized that doing kind of lightning round chapter summaries kind of wasn't realistic for us. We're just more conversational, casual, hopping around kind of discussion. So nothing wrong with that. That's just how our brains work. You know, we get there, but we're a little scattered along the way. We're just going to talk generally about kind of the high points that happened for the second half of Throne of Glass. So chapter 26 was where our first discussion ended, and they had just discovered the body of another murdered contestant Xavier who had looked like he was half eaten and then chapter 27 begins with Kaol and Selena are still you know they're training every day they have another contest coming up which is going to be about poisons there's a lot of friendship development between Nehemia and Selena and then Dorian gets a little personal a little flirtatious so there's like some sparks flying there uh, between Selena and Dorian that kind of puts this tension that we sense between Kale and Selena kind of on the back burner but the seasons are changing they're still training getting ready for the contest there's a holiday coming up called Yulmas that is one of my favorite scenes in this book probably along with the Sam Hewen stuff like the Halloween kind of Eve type of event that happened we get to peek around the curtain a little bit more too to get a sense of where the king of Otterlin is at like what his intentions are who his people and his confidence are like Duke Parrington and we see a little bit more about Duke Parrington and find out that he is not a good dude at all and maybe get a little bit more sympathy like maybe a little bit of sympathy for Caltaine Rampier and there was a lot of question in the first half about who Elena was not just you know she was the first royal of this country you know whatever many years back but what her intentions are whether they're good or bad and so selena did not trust her i think in the second half of the book selena wakes up and she seems to be visited a lot by elena and elena will give her i think the word used was oblique direction on what to do and the this oblique direction that elena gives selena helps wow that rhymed that those names were a little bit similar right i didn't really Mm -hmm. realize that before um So she helped Selena win the contest. Yeah, Selena was a part of one of the trials or tests. And right before that test, she had received a visit from Elena to tell her to look to the right during the test, realistically. And so Elena's sitting there, you know, organizing her poisons. And it's supposed to go from least poisonous to worst poisonous. And you were going to have to drink whatever you thought was the least poisonous. Luckily... They were nice enough to bring antidotes to these poisons and hopefully get it to you fast enough that you don't receive any like lasting effects. But still doesn't sound cool to be drinking poison either way. So Selena was down to her last two and she was struggling and she looked to her right 
and she sees Pelor. Yeah, the little kid. The little assassin who, if you remember earlier in the book, said that his expertise was in poison. So she watched what he was doing and he kind of watched her and he's like, yeah, switch these two. You're, you're going to die. And so she switched the two glasses that he indicated and ended up being right on. So she didn't drink poison. But had she not switched them, she would have drank the most deadly of the poisons so he helped her out there and her and Pelor were the only ones who got it right so they were the only ones that did not drink a poison in some sort was that the penultimate contest between them I think so yeah because they were trimmed down enough from the 23 or 24 contestants from the beginning that ended up being the poison challenge and then what I really thought was interesting was Selena giving Knox a heads up and being like hey you should get out of here. And remember, he like took off and just disappears. And that whole scene was really cool because he's like, you're something else. I know you're not being truthful of what and who you are. And then she tells him, yes, I am somebody else. And she kind of tells him who she is. And he's like, but wait, you're a girl. And she's like, I know I'm not as old as you thought I should be, but leave. I need you to leave. Selena is not really what you picture when you think of the queen of the underworld. That's like one of the titles that she goes by, which I love. So Knox is out, which breaks the party down even smaller to who's left. And I think the last challenge is like a couple one-on-one duels. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But we have to talk about Varen. Because one of the scenes that I loved so much is she she got fed up with him and she let him have it and she beat him and then he ends up dead, which I think was a little bit of a red herring because you're like, okay, so she just got mad enough at him to beat him and then he ends up dead. So is it the people who are really aggravating her that are ending up dead? Or is there something else? But I did love the fact that she handed it to him, even though it gave away a little bit of her strength and her power and all of that. And K.O. was not exactly happy with her. No. I mean, probably for good reason, because it was like her whole cover, (laughs) their whole strategy of making it farther. Yeah. But very early on in this part of the book, I guess not this chapter, but this part of the book, we find out that Kane already knows that she is the assassin. She doesn't believe that she needs to keep it super close to her chest because he already knows and he's going to be the one that she's ultimately fighting against. And so if he already knows, then... Oh, well. I mean, on the topic of red herrings, there was always like, okay, Kane is always seen at the scene of the crime. Is he having something to do with this? The dude is getting faster, bigger, just more intimidating to fight and face in the ring. And then there's also Nehemia, which I never understood Selena's train of thought behind suspecting Nehemia. I just, I don't know. I felt like it was always unwarranted, really like her distrust of Nehemia, like at the ball before. And she's like, oh, Nehemia could be behind these for whatever reason, you know, because they don't really know anything about her. But I'm glad that all of that got cleared up in the second half because I really like Nehemia as a character and I appreciate her friendship with Selena. I can understand Selena kind of having that in the back of her mind that maybe I can't trust her based off of what Selena's life had been. Because if you remember, she had been turned in or betrayed by somebody that she thought she was close to. And she doesn't know exactly who it is, but she knows somebody close to her betrayed her and ended up getting Sam killed. So in the back of her mind, she doesn't trust a whole lot, I don't think. And so the the second anybody shows anything that could be 
deemed concerning or maybe not the full truth, there goes her trust. I can see where she's coming from because she did find out that Nehemia did know the language. So why are you having me teach you this language if you already know it? Why are you trying to get close to me? Nehemia wasn't exactly forthcoming with a lot of her own things that she was hiding. And it turns out that a lot of the rumors and gossip that had been spread around about Nehemia was that she was in fact just a spy for Ilwe. And she ends up just coming forward, being honest with Selena and saying, yeah, that's kind of the reason why I am here. Because if I am to inherit that throne at some point, you know, it's good of me to know, like keep tabs on what other kingdoms and stuff we're doing. But also we just get a lot of development with Nehemia in the last half of the book anyways. She goes through a horrible trauma too. She is a leader that is caring and loves her people. And we find out that the King of Otterland ordered like 500 Ilwe people to be slaughtered. And this included kids and Nehemia is pretty much at a low point and beside herself over that tragedy and has a lot of, I'm sure, rage building up inside of her for that stuff that was happened. And then you have people like Cain just walking around antagonizing her too. Like Cain makes that comment about sometimes real princesses or queens don't wear crowns or whatever too. He was trying to just discredit her and say that she wasn't a real queen, even though she was wearing a crown. So it's just dealing with a lot of that. It'd be very disconcerting to walk around in a place that you are looked at as the foreigner and not have any ties with any of these people and to always have people just suspicious of you. It would be a very hard spot. And knowing that this king is the one who basically murdered and killed every other royal family on the continent also has to be a little worrying for her. Like, I'm in this palace with this person who has no qualms of just murdering other royal families. Yeah, we see Nehemia perform a lot of magic as well. I say quote unquote magic because the way that the book describes word or word marks, it's something older than or more ancient than actual magic. And at the last contest, when it's like Selena versus Kane, which was such a nerve wracking scene because she was having her ass handed to her. Like she was just getting her face beat in and just the shit, literal shit kicked out of her probably. And it was so frustrating to read the scene because you have Dorian's point of view and you have Kale's point of view and you have you know, Nehemia standing there. Like everyone is just standing around watching this 18 year old girl get her ass kicked by this huge beefed up dude. And no one is like really doing anything and they don't feel like they can because it will disqualify her. But it was such a such a hard scene too. Well, and before that scene, you find out why Kane has been beefing up and becoming stronger. And it's because he's been the one behind all of the other murders. And he was using that ancient magic of words and word marks to like summon, I think it's the best word I can think of for it, but summon this like demon thing that will eat the person, but give the person that summoned him their strength and their power. You see him getting stronger because he is taking over the power and the strength of like the Xaviers and the Varens. And so, yes, he is kicking her ass. But there's also another reason that he's kicking her ass because Selena is not weak in any means. She could have probably still taken him on. And everybody's a fuck fucking cheater. Um, <laughs> sorry yes. if you don't. They're all freaking cheating. 
because he's cheating because he's using this demon. And I'm not sure if Parrington knew that because he is cheating for him also because he has Caltaine poison, Selena, with that poison that she couldn't identify <laughs> during the previous test. And so Selena is poisoned during this fight with Kane. On top of the fact that Kane has also been cheating and bringing more strength into him by killing other people. And so it is a very unfair fight in all aspects. But what he doesn't know is Selena also has some people on her side, like Sandra mentioned. Nehemia has the magic and Nehemia summons Elena and Lena is there helping Selena too. Yes. So another scene, I think I've mentioned this before. I love library scenes and books. And this one had an earlier library scene where I think Selena was just in the library trying to do research on word marks and that kind of thing or came across uh, The Walking Dead. That was like the funny name for the book, but it was like The Walking Dead. And basically this book was talking about how there is a way to open doors to other worlds. And she's trying to get more information about how it's possible that Elena could be communicating with her and all of this stuff. And so there's like this relation drawn between Nehemia doing these motions and stuff for these word marks to help summon, I guess if you want to use that word, like Elena to come help. And we learned that the poison that Caltaine had given to Selena enables her to see things that other people cannot see that are from the other world, the in-between. And it's kind of this creepy thing. It's like these monsters that are attacking her. And so everyone knows it's an unfair fight. She's staggering around. She's dizzy. She's obviously like flailing and fighting back at things that she like no one else can see. So yeah, everyone can see that it's an unfair fight, but this is how things are done in Otterlin. Like no one can really say anything. It's just the way it is. And it looks like cheating is almost accepted. Like everyone knows everyone else cheats, but they, no one gets in trouble for cheating. You know, there was another part. Um, oh, the eye of Elena. So it's not really cleared how this amulet or whatever is supposed to protect Selena. At one point, they talk about how she's having trouble sleeping and having nightmares of all these things chasing after her and pursuing her. And it's because she didn't have the amulet. It's like after the fight. And so she figures that maybe that's how it was protecting her, like letting her have peace of mind and not be chased by these things when she's asleep. And I just thought that was interesting too. And that it is in fact an heirloom from the Otterlin kingdom. So she is worried that somebody's going to notice her wearing it and she's going to get in trouble because the king obviously doesn't care enough about her to give her an heirloom of his family. So she is worried that if anybody does see it on her, even though she's trying to use it to protect her, it will end up getting her in even further trouble. On the topic of jewelry, we also read a few times about these black rings. We see the king wearing a strange black ring. We see Duke Parrington with a black ring. I think Kane has one as well, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. I think so too. People will fidget with it while they're wearing it. And there's a conversation with the king and Duke Parrington and they're talking about Caltaine because Caltaine has been having a horrible time progressively as we see her in these chapters. She's experiencing more and more headaches to the point of she is now just like an opium addict essentially to try and just like get rid of the headache. And we see Duke Parrington being aware of that and he is influencing her, taking advantage of her, exploiting her, whatever you want to call it, to like do things and maneuver around to get him and the king's goals to work out. 
Yeah, you see that very strongly in that last battle. Caltaine calls them out on it. She's like, you poisoned her. Like, you had me poison her. And Parrington and the king both are like, not me. I didn't do it. It was all her. It was all her. And just let her have the punishment all to herself. So they don't care about her. Even though throughout the whole book, she thinks that she's kind of leading him on. In reality, he's using her naivety um, against her. She thinks she's the one in control and she's not. Yeah, it makes you wonder how much of the beginning was actually Keltane. Like, obviously, there's going to be some snootiness and some I'm better than everybody else type of thing that comes with her. And that's probably what made her like the prime tool for them to use and just amplify that with this whatever force that they're using to, to influence her to do their bidding. But yeah, so she's thrown into the royal dungeons, like just discarded like garbage essentially and not having a good time but they allude to somehow using her in the future after all of the stuff is blown over like they still have some nefarious plans for her that they allude to so i just i'm feeling all kinds of bad for caltane because i spent so much of the book fucking hating her guts and thinking she was so petty and just a you know a girl hater like instead when she should be an ally type of thing and treating people like a competition constantly. Like I spent so much time hating her and now I just feel bad. I kind of still hate her because I think most of that was her personality, which led her to be a perfect person for the Duke to go after because she was already petty and she was already like willing to do whatever to get Dorian. So I still don't like her very much. I don't want her to be in prison, like, wasting away. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying I still think that most of her choices were, in fact, her choices. Tara is tough love, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) I can tend to be a little, like, okay, I'll give you, like, some extra grace. And Tara's like, you're dead to me. You had xyz chances like you're dead to me fuck you i don't care what happens to you and i'm just like well everyone deserves a chance to grow (laughs) more power to her if she grows i'm just not willing to write off the fact that she did all these bad things she's gonna have to prove that to me that it wasn't her choice we also get to see kale kill Kane. That's that's like a, a mouthful there. Kill, kill Kane. Because Selena is determined to be the winner. She beats Kane after Elena stops by and helps her out of her poison. She ends up winning the fight, even though Kane has done his part in the cheating and Caltaine and the Duke and the King did their part. She made it through all of that. And then Kane, being the douche that he is, decides that even though she won fair and square or fair and square he's going to stab her in the back and kill her idiot and kale notices this and kale ends up killing him which i like dorian but kale go you right there but he feels really bad about it and this is me being the vengeful person that sandra just told me that i was but I don't think he should feel sorry about that. Like, dude chose to do what he chose to do, and he got the just rewards for that. Don't play stupid games if you don't want to win stupid prizes. Ooh, is that like a Taylor Swift quote? It should be. She needs to write a song about that. I feel like she has a quote, something like that. Even though this is Otterland and shit like this flies, and it totally would have been kosher for Kane to just stab her in the back, nothing would have happened to him. He's like, yeah, go you, Kale. And we don't we find out that there's a reason why he's so upset about this? Like, he never killed anyone before? 
like which i was shocked this was his first kill I, I, yeah, I was, like, very surprised. I'm like, you're captain of the guard. How is this your first kill? But he is 22. And that also goes to show why he's so against her as the assassin, because he thinks that she doesn't, like, care that she's killed people. And he's never killed people. He's never been in that position where it's kill or be killed, or it's kill or something else horrific. And so he doesn't realize that there are situations where, yes, in fact, you will kill somebody. And she does care. I mean, he cares, she cares, even though me being me thinks that, you're fine. You're fine. It's fine. Now that I've gotten the kill part out, maybe we should talk about the fun things that happen. I know. Let's talk about some, some guy stuff. I don't know that I'm shipping Dorian yet, but Dorian is freaking cute throughout this last half of this book. My favorite scenes happen to have Dorian in them and him being cute. Yeah, they have like the best relationship at this point to me because they do all the things that I would daydream about if I was younger. You know, it's like, oh, having this guy around that's so like funny and casual and we just lay around reading books and talking about books and just having a cutesy time or playing billiards and, you know, just those like little private moments between them. Very rom-com. Like if this was a movie with her and Dorian you would have all of the rom-com scenes. And I'm just going to point out the billiards one because I thought that that was so cute, corny, but cute because he comes in and she's, you know, can't sleep and she's playing billiards, but she's not good at it at all. Like she's missing the balls like me and Sandra, completely missing everything. Me and Sandra did play (laughs) a little bit in college and we would give each other half a point for when the white ball went in the pocket. That's how bad we were. So Selene is on our level. And Dorian comes in being Dorian, cute and everything. And he's like, let me show you. So you have the quintessential rom-com, him like behind her, like, oh, you hold the pool. It's super cute. Yeah, they're totally self-aware about it too, because Selena's like being all sarcastic and snippy about him doing that too, which just makes it even cuter. But then like, I love Yulmas. One of my favorite, favorite parts is when they go to Yulmas, like church, basically. And it is long. And all of a sudden there's like a fade to black scene. And it comes to because Kale is like elbowing the shit out of Selena because she passed out. She makes a comment and that insinuates that he had accidentally fallen asleep too because it was so boring. And that was like, I was in stitches laughing because it was such a cute scene. His comment back to her about like, he woke up because she was drooling on him. I was like, oh my goodness. So yes, I love Kale too. It's hard. It's hard to pick between those two. And then he admits that he was wrong about her. That scene was super cute too. Cause he he was like, uh, ooh, uh, I may I may have thought wrong about you. Which, when Kale admits to being wrong about something, it's almost like it means so much more because he has so much righteousness and, and honor, you know. So when he admits to something like that, it's it just has it's so much more meaning to it. And the scene where Nahimia was like, "Hey, Selena, we're needed outside," and she takes Selena to the dog kennel where Dorian. Pops out of a stable, essentially, and is just like, 
oh, hey, these are the the hounds. And there's like one little misfit puppy hound that's like a mixed breed and it's kind of a little wildling and no one wants it. So they're talking about putting this puppy down and Selena just like throws a fit and is just like, no, why would you do that? It's a puppy. And he basically promises that he'll find a home for it. What happens? Like, where is this puppy home? He gives her to Selena. And she gets to keep the little puppy in her room. And it's just a wonderful present because he also then lets her like put it in the stables when she needs to and stuff. So it's not like he just gave her a present for work. She gets to leave it, but it's just her little companion. It gets all the training that the other dogs in the kennel get. And Nehemia was like taking it out too when she was going out on walks and stuff. So she would take it out. It's like an all hands on deck type of thing. Another thing was like when he surprised her with the puppy and it was just like this little nose coming out of a basket, essentially. It was like so cute how that scene was done. But he had also given her like three pounds of candy and she's like sitting there eating it and her teeth get dyed red. And they're like, did you? eat the candy she's like no why would you say that okay that scene also won my heart because i'm a candy freak so three pounds of candy would have been like the perfect present i also liked when he like weighed it after and he's like you've ate half of it already it's not even breakfast dude and she's like well it was my candy don't give me candy if you don't expect me to eat the candy quick aside tara used to work in a candy shop in college and i worked there for a little bit with her but those were those were some fun times Mr. Bulky. The other part where Dorian like just pulls you in is the Yulmus Ball. Selena wasn't supposed to attend that, but she was afraid that Nehemia was going to attack Kale or Dorian during this ball. And so she's like, I'm going to just kind of sneak right in and just show up. Nothing you can do to me after, right? Like, whatever. But at least I know you're safe. And so she sneaks right into that little ball and Dorian can't take his eyes off of her. And then they start dancing and they dance the night away and Kale's over here mean mugging everybody because he's pissed off that she A, came to the ball, but also I think that there's a slight amount of jealousy that she is dancing with Dorian too. And so she dances with him and then they have a kiss. They do have a kiss. It's just fantastic. Yeah, I love how Sarah J. Mass writes changing perspective on little intimate scenes like this. So we have like, I think Dorian was walking Selena back to her room or something and they kiss and get all breathy and stuff and she like stops them and he leaves, but she like steps out into her balcony and she's just like so overwhelmed by all the fuzzy feelings. And then we get the perspective of Kale kind of off and he like looks up and sees her and how she's reacting after spending intimate time with Dorian. He's like all bummed out. I just love how mass kind of balances those scenes i also liked and this was early on in this like half but it's kind of a foreshadowing moment because kale witnesses dorian be a little jealous of selena and he makes a comment of he knows what jealousy looks like and then he follows that up with a comment about like Knox and why is he there and stuff and i'm like really you you know what jealousy looks like and then you're gonna be jealous and not even realize in your head that that's what's happening and i thought that that like was a hilarious way of showing you that he has the same feelings that dorian does he's just not as like in tune with himself i think sometimes yeah, I love when Knox just gets thrown into the mix. He's such an innocent character. 
character. I mean, obviously he did some stuff to get it landed into the predicament, but I have just always loved the interactions between him and Selena and seeing Kaole and Dorian just be like, what the fuck? Like, he's another contestant. Like, why is he getting all close and friendly with Selena? But it's like, Selena just exudes that. She's confident. She's very competent. She's smart as hell she's sharp she's funny it's like who wouldn't want to be your friend and then at the very very end dorian stands up to his dad just a little bit for selena which just like hits you yeah he has a little growth moment there because dorian is just always like yeah whatever like he never sticks up or says anything back he'll just be like okay sure and then he'll go do whatever the hell he wants anyways but for him to stick up for her that was a lot i think the end of this book though it was like kind of brings you back down because after Selena wins champion of Otterlin, she makes it very quick decision. It's almost like in the moment, she's just like, well, now that I'm the champion, you and I can't date. We can just be friends. And she just turns on the dime like so quickly like that, very hot and cold with Dorian. And he is super bummed out about it. And then she just starts spending more time with Kale. I mean, they're going to spend more time together because he's still somewhat of a trainer slash mentor for her. It's kind of a weird relationship that they have balancing, you know, being captain of the guard and also being a mentor slash friend of this assassin. Yeah, so it brings us back down. And I would just like to point out that all of my predictions so far have come true. She is the champion. Dorian does get his ass handed to him. He gets pulled back down a notch there with like falling for her and then her being like, you know what? Let's back it off. And I thought that there was a third thing. Oh, Kane being part of the bad. Yeah. I'm batting a thousand right now, guys. The thing about Kane, and I can't remember how clear they make it in this book. It's like, Okay, with Kane, obviously eating the brain makes him like smarter. Having the heart consumed can run longer, you know, whatever. It's with these rings, the King and Duke Parrington talk about controlling Kane from like a physical standpoint, like doing things to make him beef up that way and be, I guess, a superior person to the normal person. And then working on things to control someone emotionally, like mentally, like Caltain. And so it's still very unclear, like how all of this stuff is really related and what his end game is. I don't know if there's anything really to predict about like the next part, because I mean, we get, this is a series I guess the thing about reading it after it's already been published is we know there are eight books. We know there's a prequel story as part of that. We know that this thread has to go on for whatever length. But the end of this book ends with Kaol being like, well, do you want to know what your first quest is the champion of Ireland is going to be? And she's just like, oh, let's save it for another day. And that's like end of scene. It was very much written that if this is how it ended, you had a full story. So it was very much written like she didn't know she was going to be able to write a second one like you'd be okay with the ending as it is you would want more but you'd be okay it makes sense it's not a cliffhanger it makes sense that this is an end of a book i know we already talked about like favorite parts and favorite little progressions between characters and romance and stuff like that are there any other quotes and stuff that struck you as your favorite i didn't write down any quotes i just wrote down the scenes because i was not very good with my notes but the one quote that i had was just like Kale being Kale and like, oh, I know, I know what jealousy looks like. And then following that up with the Knox comment. And I was like, no, you're dumb. 
Kale, I don't know if I can say this. He just strikes me as like this this guy that, you know, abdicated his estate to be a lord and wanted to be the captain. And he has just so much honor and the sense of self is just like way up here. He's never had like a legit girlfriend. I'm like, he's probably a virgin. I don't know. Like he doesn't really talk about any kind of experience like that. I mean, he he seems wise because he is calling Dorian on all of these things. He is correct that that was jealousy on Dorian's part. He is correct. He's just not willing to call himself the same way. Like, he, he's not very in tune with what he's feeling or he's not willing to admit what he's feeling. I go back to this quote. It was like Dorian and Selena having a conversation and she's just like, well, how old are you? And he's just like, I'm 19. She's like, well, why aren't you married yet? Because they're just kind of having that little volley back and forth. And he, he made such a harsh comment. He's like, I'm not married, he said softly, because I can't stomach the idea of marrying a woman inferior to me in mind and spirit. It would mean the death of my soul. I'm like, way to be dramatic there. I'm so bummed out about how the book ended because I really, really like their relationship. I mean, I understand wanting that kind of controversy and stuff of, you know, the prince dating the champion and dealing with that and being, oh, there was that secret comment. He was like, we would keep it a secret. And that's like, what woman wants to hear? Let's keep it a secret. Well, and I took it just a step further because I took it as she knew in four years she was out of there. She wasn't staying in Adderland. And he was the crown prince of Adderland. There's no way he's going to get out of that country. He's there. And she's leaving. She's like, peace. Four years is up. I'm out. And my kind of thought thing is she was okay with the secret. She was okay with dating him. But she knew that eventually they weren't going to be in game. They were going to end. And why end it in four years as opposed to ending it now? Yeah, she very much embraced it all of it being on her terms and he had no say really in it. What do you make of this almost hatred or maybe like just a superficial kind of hatred that she has toward Dorian Havilyard, that name? Because there's a scene where Nehemia is like watching Dorian and Selena interact. Dorian leaves. She's like, he's really into you. And Selena like snaps at her and is like, I'd rather cut out my heart than have anything to do with the Havilyard. Well, his dad doesn't make the best impression, right? He's the person that destroyed her home country, like destroyed it. He took away all the magic. He is the one who sent her to Indovir. Indovir. I mispronounced that. I'm sorry. Whatever. The salt mine. And he's the one that basically destroyed her life from the get-go. I'm just going out on a limb here and guessing that the reason she doesn't have parents and the reason she was found in that river has something to do with him destroying her, her home country. And so from the age of eight on, he has been the person that has made her life a living hell. Everything that she has experienced has been because of this dude. And he happens to be Dorian's dad, a Havili. Yeah, whatever. That last name. She has a hatred of it because of his dad. That's an excellent point. That made me remember when Kane was egging her on about her waking up between her two dead parents. 
you remember that mm-hmm. part like that would be so traumatizing and she, what's heartbreaking is she's like sharing this story and talking about how yeah she was like eight years old and it was raining that night the window was open she thought the wetness in the bed was the rain coming through and it turned out to be the blood of her both of her parents just like massacred in the bed and that's another piece of the puzzle that is selena so heartbreaking. And I think Dorian's only saving grace is he doesn't look anything like his dad. And so she could like put them apart and look at Dorian as Dorian and not his last name. And so I think that was his saving grace in her eyes is he didn't look or act like his dad. But otherwise, none of the rest of that family is worth anything. Like Holland, little douchebag at 10, none of them are worth anything. Which Holland was sent away or something, right? He was in school, yeah. Because he was a troublemaker, and so they sent him away to school. Yeah, he's like a 10-year-old little hell child. You totally understand where Selena and Dorian, like her hangups with trusting Dorian with all of that, because she's so closed off, remains closed off, even after they break up and have spent so much time together, and he doesn't have the full story. He keeps asking her, you know, where did your love of music come by and stuff, and that like just pushes her buttons and makes her really sensitive and stuff on the topic of of Sam. And so, yeah, you feel for them. It's almost like a bad timing type of thing. It's like a mixture of things. But um, you can tell that Dorian is on a path to grow up finally, slowly. He's a little late bloomer there, you know, as the crown prince. But um, it is what it is. It's a little Romeo and Juliet because you you see that if they were anybody else, they would be great together. But because they're families, or well, in her case, not really a family, but because at some point in some time, his dad did something to her family. They can't get it together. Selena has been through some major shit from waking up to her dead parents to her love of her life, or you know, whoever Sam was to her, dying in something that went sideways. No one knows what yet. It's just, you feel for her. Anything that she wants to say or do or behave is completely warranted. Yeah, she's A-OK in my book because her revenge, ooh, I cannot wait to see her get revenge. I'm going to be down for all the murder and mayhem that will come. Tara and I are on the same page there. We like some good girl rage acted out. Yeah, for real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Last words to say about Throne of Glass as itself. Okay. I do have one more last thing to say because we completely skipped one of the funniest scenes in this whole book, which is when she gets her woman time. Oh. And Kale is sitting here like he's never experienced a woman who is aggravated because she's in pain or sick or whatever because of that time of the month. And he he's just keeps talking at her and she's like, I really don't feel well. Like you need to leave. And he's like, meh, 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 meh. and she's like, No, I need you to leave. And and he just keeps on and then she like throws up. And he's like, Oh oh, you really want me to leave? And then just walks out. Like, yes, man. Like, oh my God, dude. She only told you a thousand times, like, leave. And then Dorian comes in. He's like, hey, I saw Kale. And he said 
that you're having some issues basically but he was so cute and he sat there with her and like tried to get her to talk and stuff and so it was a super cute scene with him but like dear lord kale (laughs) he was like i don't know what to do i just yeah every time like how mass writes like characters passing by each other and like oh they seemed kind of you know like kind of stunned and speechless and didn't know what was going on there i just love how she writes that so funny yeah that was a great scene there needs to be more humor about women's stuff like that in books or just like normal bodily stuff in general because everyone does it or at least you know half the population does and it is a legit pain in the ass to deal with that gets in the way of a lot of things so I enjoyed that. That was so funny. And I enjoyed like Dorian bringing humor to it as opposed to being like Kale, who's like, oh, you're pissed. You're being mad. I'm leaving. And so like there's also a part in that scene where she basically tells Dorian to go womanize somebody else. (laughs) And then she's like, oh, man, that that was probably a bit harsh. I didn't mean it that way. Tara's like, I didn't think it was that harsh. Bring it on. (laughs) It wasn't that harsh. Go womanize someone else. But yeah, that was one of the funniest scenes in the whole book. Because it's, it's one of those scenes that, as a woman, I can relate to her wanting the guy just to leave her the F alone. Yeah, like, do I have to fucking spell it out for you? Like, why can't me just saying I want you out of my vicinity be enough for you to just do what I say? Well, and... If I remember correctly, she told him that, like, her woman time was there. And he's still like, eh, it's okay. Like, he's never experienced it. So he doesn't know that it feels like somebody's punching you over and over and over in the stomach. And for those of you out there, just watchers that don't really understand what the big deal is about something like monthly woman time being like an actual scene in a book it also calls back to selena's time in basically a concentration camp is what it's likened to the salt mines and her being so starved that her menstruation stopped and she wasn't having that so when she starts packing on weight and working out and getting healthy again i can only imagine what your body would feel like after not doing that and getting back and doing that it would be difficult so that's another kind of important little thing to call out about why that's a thing and the fact that she hasn't experienced that in a year like She's probably forgotten how much that sucks. She's probably like, send me back to the mines. It's better. Did she forget or did she just like block that out? (laughs) One or the other. But either way, she's probably in that moment being like, eh, was it that bad over there? Did I like food? Really? It'll be interesting to see where the next book, so next week we're going to be covering chapters 1 through 29 of Crown of Midnight, so book 2 in the Throne of Glass series, and all we know so far is that there's some stuff with the King and Duke Parrington that hasn't worked itself out with, there's some Elena mystery still out there. Dorian and Selena are not together anymore, and Kale and Selena are going to be spending more time together because now she is the assassin of Ardolin, essentially. So it'll be interesting to see what kinds of quests he has her doing because he's already made it very clear that she is to do everything that he demands. No questions asked or else everyone she cares about will. He threatened Kale first, and then if she did it again, it would be Nehemia, and then if she did it again, it'd be Nehemia's family. So, she has to toe the line. 
Yeah, she has to toe the line, and I'm sure a girl will figure out how to uh, do something that still agrees with her values. I'm sure she's smart enough to figure out a way around that. So that is what we are left with, and I'm enjoying this read-along so far. I hope it sounds like you are. (laughs) Yes, a tiny bit. Yeah, just a tiny bit. Not invested in these characters at all. (laughs) I think they're so much fun. All right. Well, thank you for joining us on this discussion of chapters 27 on of Throne of Glass and be on the lookout Tuesday for our third episode already for part one of Crown of Midnight. So be sure to leave a comment or like this video if you had fun watching the discussion. If you have any comments about things that were your favorite part that we didn't even mention and want to bring up, like definitely comment about what that is. We may bring it up in the next episode. So thank you so much for watching. Bye. Bye.